you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. So turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. Have you noticed all the numbers uh, for this crazy virus are just continuing to rise? You know, and and, uh, that's not really good news for us. It means that this fight that we're in is going to be a lot tougher before it gets easier on us. And, you know, the, the seasons are changing. Winter's coming. It's just right around the corner. And that means flu season. And that means we're going to be inside a lot more with each other. And so, you know, as these numbers are going up, things just don't look very good for us. And I don't know how you're feeling about that. But I can tell you that I am determined to go through these virus days like a believer, like someone who knows the living God, and he has work for us to do, and he is at work during this present time. So personally, what that means is that I'll mask up where I have to, and I'll try to give you your six feet if you want it, and I won't cough. I promise I won't cough in your face or sneeze in your face. You know, I, I can make that promise. I have elbows. So I, I can do that. So, But I was thinking, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And you just don't turn that off and turn that on depending on what's floating around out there in the air. And so I'm going to go through this like, like I believe in him. And as a church, this means that we're going to be fighting together as, as believers. You know, a few weeks ago we went on offense as a church and we got back together in worship and we got together on our knees and last week we were encouraged to get back in the word of God and and kind of wield that sword that God has given us looking for truth and and for strength there and for hope and for light and life all of that to fight fears and worries and darkness in our life well today we're looking at fighting like a believer with faith faith is the key ingredient for all of this that fighting that we're doing uh, to, to work. Without faith, we're just going to be paralyzed by fear as we walk through these days. And we won't be able to go where Jesus calls us to go. Because we're not trusting him with ourselves and what he wants to do through us. Imagine, if you would, a tightrope stretched out a quarter of a mile across Niagara Falls. And then imagine, if you will, a man stepping out on that tightrope and walking 160 feet above the falls across from one side to the other. If you were alive in the summer of 1859, you wouldn't have to imagine it. Charles Blondin actually did that. He walked 160 feet above the falls, not just once, but several times back and forth between the U.S. and Canada. And on both sides, he had huge crowds watching him go, and they were just like in shock and awe at his skill. One time, he walked across the tightrope in a sack. Another time, he did it on stilts. And another time, he rode a bicycle across. This is pretty amazing. One time, he even carried a little stove with him, and he cooked an omelet on the way over. I don't know who got to eat that, if it was a Canadian or American, but somebody got to eat an omelet. 
On July 15th in 1859, Charles walked backwards across a tightrope into Canada. He returned to the U.S. pushing a wheelbarrow. And then he walked again back to Canada blindfolded with the wheelbarrow. So when he gets across, the crowd's just ooing and they're awing, you know. And, I mean, he just proven it, right? He is the absolute best tightrope walker in the history of the world. You know, no one was disputing it. Everyone agreed. But that last trip over with the wheelbarrow, he's over there in Canada, you know, and he asked the Canadians, do you believe that I could carry a person across this tightrope in the wheelbarrow as I go? And they all were like, absolutely, you're amazing, you are the best, no doubt you could do that. And then he asked the crowd, would anyone like to volunteer to take the ride? (laughs) Nobody took him up on it. Therein lies the fight for believers who know the Almighty God, who can do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. Jesus said anything is possible for him who believes. But the big question is, what kind of believing is Jesus talking about there? Is it the kind that you can stand in the crowd and say, yeah, you're the greatest. I believe you can do anything. Or is it the kind that actually steps out of the crowd and gets in his wheelbarrow and lets him take you across Niagara Falls on a tightrope? Well, today we're going to look at the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6. And I'll talk a little bit about 7 as well. Takes us on a journey of faith with Gideon. And it really gives us a good glimpse of what it looks like to fight like a believer with faith. So I'm going to start here in Judges 6 verses 1 to 6. So the Israelites did evil in the sight, in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes uh, coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. So in these first six verses of chapter 6, we're getting the circumstances for faith. They're just laid out for us right there. God's people have just enjoyed 40 years of peace. 40 years of peace. So if you think about that, that would be like 1980 until now. That's a good long stretch, you know, for them to be physically at peace, which was a great thing for them physically, but spiritually it wasn't so great. That's kind of how it goes with people in prosperity, you know. When we're doing good in life, it's really hard to be full of faith and faithful to God. It's it's just kind of how it goes. So verse 1 plainly tells us how God saw his people and how things were at that time. They did what was evil in his eyes. And so he brought this virus on them called the Midianites. And uh, they were overpowering them and they were uh, sent them running into the hills, hiding in caves and holes in, in the ground. 
So the Midianite strategy was to attack them at their food source. You know, to, 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 uh, to take all their food so that they could starve them. Starve them out. So they're likened to locusts, swarming the land, devouring everything. So for seven years, this is what was going on in Israel. Seven years, the Midianites coming in, uh, devouring everything to eat that they had to eat um, uh, for Israel. We're just finishing up seven months of COVID-19. Can you imagine if it was going on for seven years? So these are the external circumstances that God brought on his people uh, to prepare them for verse 6. It says, they were, it says they were brought very low. And that was when they started to look up. So if you're looking for some good in the middle of bad circumstances, that would qualify. Because any time we start to look up to God, we are putting our self in a position of dependence on him and submission to him. And when we're depending and submitting to God, that is a very good thing. So how does God answer their cry? Instead of just fixing it, instead of just wiping out the Midianites, he sends them a prophet to explain to them why all this was going on. So verses 7 to 10. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, The Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But you have not listened to me. So God is not just concerned about rescuing his people and restoring his relationship uh, with them, restoring their happiness. He's also looking at doing something about their holiness. He's not just going to fix the external circumstances. If he did that, they just kind of go back to the same old thing that was uh, got him into this fix in the first place. So God's also wanting to do something about the internal circumstances of their hearts. The people need a change of heart. And so he sends them a prophet with a message to explain everything. I rescued you from Egypt and slavery. I drove out all your enemies from the promised land so you could move in. And I told you, don't worship your neighbor's gods. But they didn't listen. So in other words, he said, I loved you, but you betrayed me. I was faithful to you, but you were unfaithful to me. I kept my promises to you, but you broke yours to me. Now, those were words designed to get to their hearts, to convict them, to get them to see in their hearts their sin and where they were at with their God so they could turn back to him. Because God didn't want just to help them on the outside. He wanted to help them on their insides. He's using these external and internal circumstances to prepare them to be rescued from their enemies, to prepare them to, to be restored to a right relationship with him and to be vessels who would be the ones that would bring about all of this change that was coming. I was thinking we've got some similar kinds of circumstances, you know. 
in, in, in our day, as the Israelites were experiencing in Judges 6. There is an enemy out there in the air, far more numerous than locusts. And an invisible enemy, and it has us hiding away in our houses, staying away from people. Now, I don't want to go so far as to say that God is judging the world with COVID-19. But I will say that God wants to definitely use these circumstances that we are in to prepare us for such a time as this. These external circumstances that we got going on are causing all kinds of people to cry out to God for help. They're looking up. They're looking for an answer. Man doesn't have an answer. People are looking up right now. The question is, are we willing to look in? Are we willing to look inside of ourselves and take responsibility for our own sins and the place that our nation is at right now? Are we willing to do that? Could it be that God is asking or looking for repentance from his church? Repentance from us on the inside before he does anything about the external circumstances on the outside. You know, 1 Peter 4.17 says that judgment begins at the family of God. And so the church, if you think about it, the church is God's plan, you know, to reach people in the world. It's God's plan. It's his plan A. And there is no other plan. There's no plan B. The church is is his main way of getting the gospel of Jesus, his son, that his son came and died for our sins so we could be forgiven. And then he rose from the grave and defeated death. And if we believed in him, that we would have life everlasting with God. That's the gospel. And that message is is for us, the church, to get out there to people. When it happens, when it does get out there, someone hears that message and they respond and they trust in Christ with their life, then what happens is God gives them a new heart. The Bible calls it being born again. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, He takes out the heart of stone, He puts in the heart of flesh, and that heart of flesh, it beats to follow God. It wants to follow Him. Then it also says God puts the new spirit in them. And so they have this hunger and desire to do what God says. That's called being born again. Now, it is no secret that our country is not just drifting away from God. It is paddling hard away from Him. Anybody say amen to that? I mean, we can see it, right? We can see it happening. But could it be, church, could it be that our lack of prayer... And our lack of Bible immersion and our self-centered living and pleasure-seeking appetites are the reason that the darkness is just getting darker? Could it be? Could it be that God wants to use COVID-19 to convict us in the church of our apathy over the gospel, of our unwillingness to put our lives on the line when He has done that for us? Could it be? I believe it could. Get this. The state of our nation is not the fault of the darkness. It is just acting like itself. Light is what handles darkness. And with every Christian that has been saved from their sin and themselves to God and has a story to tell about that, That's where the responsibility lies. We are the ones who have the vaccine for the virus of sin. We know about it. We know where to point people. 
But we're keeping it to ourselves as we hide away in our huddles and in our houses. So this all happened on our watch. And I guarantee that God wants to use these circumstances to humble our hearts and to get us looking up to Him for help, to ready us for a rescue operation. It all is, a circum- it all is circumstances for our faith. Now, once the preparations of the Lord's, uh, that the Lord is doing for His people, once He has them right where He wants them, um, then He chooses a vessel... To bring about his will. And that means that he's going to put out a calling to faith. So let's read Judges 6, 11 to 16. And we see how Gideon gets involved in this. What's going on. 11 to 16. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah. Which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us, handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. So this is a fine example of how God does his work. He chooses a man or a woman and he calls them to go and do something that is beyond their ability. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 speaks about God choosing the weak and the foolish things of the world to shame the strong and the wise. It's how he, it's how he works. Now, if we were choosing a vessel... And to bring about God's will. If we were going to go pick Israel's champion to go against the Midianites, Gideon wouldn't even be on the bottom of our list. He wouldn't even make our list. Okay? But though the, these verses, through these verses here, we get two different perspectives of the, of the current uh, situation. We get God's view and we get Gideon's view. Okay, so Gideon's view of, of all that's going on is all about what he can see. It's all about what is. It's like, hey, just read the headlines. It's right there in front of your, of your face. And then God's view is all about what he can see and about what will be. So the angel of the Lord finds Gideon at the bottom of a wine press and he's beating out the wheat. Now that's a job normally done on the threshing floor, which is usually out in the open where the wind can blow. So when they beat the wheat and they throw it up in the air and the chaff separates... And all you have left is the grain. So that's normally done out in the open where the wind is. But Gideon, he's in the bottom of a wine press to hide it away from the Midianites. He is in full-on survival mode, hiding that grain away. The angel shows up and addresses him at the bottom of the wine press. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Well, to Gideon and anybody 
watching, this was just not so. And Gideon is hiding away from danger. And that's what cowards do, not heroes. So Gideon, he questions the greeting. If God's with us, where is he? I mean, he's abandoned us. We heard that prophet. We heard what he said. We haven't done what God wanted us to do. And so he's abandoned us. He's not with us. Just look around. Angel of the Lord is not discouraged by Gideon's words. He says, go with the strength you have. I just love that. Go with the strength you have and save Israel from Midian. I am sending you. Gideon's not done yet arguing. He comes back. Look, you got the wrong man here. You don't, you don't know what you're doing. You know, I, I mean, my family is nobody in the Israel families. You know, we're on the bottom of the Israelite totem pole. And I am, you know, on the bottom of our, I'm a nobody in my family. So you're, you're, uh, you're talking to the smallest and the weakest. And I'm the smallest of the small and the weakest of the weak. That's who you're talking to. Well, Gideon is not wrong. It's what he can see. It doesn't look like God is with them, and he does not look like Israel's hero. Then you have verse 16. And that's a difference maker. And it begins with, But I will be with you. I will be with you. That's, that is, is what happens. Um, that is what happens when God's, God's view collides with our view. You know, um, here's Gideon, small to the small, weeks of the week. But God says, I will be with you. You know that God plus one man or woman who's faithful and full of faith is a majority. Is a majority. So here this scene's going on. God's view and our view are colliding. And you can feel this struggle. You know, this struggle. And so there we are left with a decision when those two things come together. When our view of what is, what we can see, comes together with what God sees and what could be, what will be, then we have this struggle. Are we going to believe what he's saying and say yes to the call? Or are we going to turn away in unbelief? Now today the angel of the Lord's not going around visiting people anymore. Okay, in fact, he doesn't even show up in the New Testament. Uh, Because Jesus showed up, and he's the incarnate son of God. And so that's how we heard from him in the New Testament. And then the Holy Spirit comes after that, after Jesus leaves. Then the Holy Spirit comes, and he indwells new believers. And so he's there. And so now, between God's word and the Holy Spirit, that's the primary way that God calls people to get on the move. The primary way. And that call is always going to be something that goes beyond us, goes beyond our human abilities. Otherwise, it wouldn't require faith. So when God calls you, he's going to call you to come out of your comfort zones. He's going to call you out of your strength zone, the things that you're good at. He's going to call you out of your security. He's going to call you out of the crowd watching a tightrope walker. Cross with the wheelbarrow, and he's going to say, do you want to take a ride across Niagara Falls? That's his call. It feels like a big risk to us. Because what God calls us to do is not going to seem possible. We're going to feel, we're going to feel just like Gideon, you know. This is, God, this is what is. I can see it. And God, this is me, the smallest of the small and the weakest of the weak. you got the wrong person. 
These things are human things that, that come up in us when we hear God call us to His, His new reality, what He wants to do. Now, as we are in that struggle there, He's not going to be discouraged with us. He will continue to tap us on the shoulder, tug on our heart. He will continue to put that call before us until we have either surrendered ourselves to Him and said yes, or we have turned away and said no. And that happens. I've known men that have been called to ministry, full-time ministry, and they struggle and struggle with it, and they just never said yes to God. And they have uh, lives that are filled with disillusionment. They've lost their heart in their walk with God. And they live with regret that they didn't say yes, that they didn't get in the wheelbarrow and cross over with God, seeing where he would take them. Now listen, it's not easy. It's hard. It's hard for us to do this. And that's why Gideon does what he does next. Okay, He wants confirmation that the man who's speaking to him is from the Lord. And, and this call is, is from him. But before he, he does that, he wants to present an offering to this man. Um, he, he wants to give him the hospitality that, you know, that, that he is due and, and honor him. So he, he wants to prepare a meal. So let's read uh, verses 17 to 24. So Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered, I will stay here until you return. Gideon hurried home. He cooked a young goat, and with a basket of flour, he baked some bread without yeast. Then carrying the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. The angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and bread with the tip of his staff in his hand, and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he had brought, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realizes that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It is all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid, you will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and named it Yahweh Shalom which means the Lord is peace. The altar remains in Ophrah, in the land of the clan of Ebiezer, to this day. So as Gideon prepares this meal for the angel of the Lord, the angel of God, God, waits on him. Now, by the way, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament could very well be Jesus showing up there. But it doesn't have to be. Really, what we know for certain, it is God showing up in some mysterious human form and interacting with his, with his people. See, see, God knows how difficult it is for us humans to say yes to his call. He knows how difficult it is. And so what we see right here is God's grace being poured out on Gideon to him. That he waited for Gideon to come back to prepare this food. And then he uses that food to give him reassurance that he really was God and God was really calling Gideon. So the meal comes out, the angel consumes it with fire, and then he disappears. Gideon realizes, oh, this was, this was the Lord. I, I've, I've seen the Lord face to face and you know, that's, you do that, you're dead. 
And so he's crying out and God speaks peace to him and Gideon builds an altar and, and worships. So how do you know if it's God calling you to do something? Well, it'll never contradict his word. So you can be sure of that. And also, when you surrender to the call, you will worship. You will worship God just like Gideon did. It, it will be like you, you made this decision to get in God's wheelbarrow and he's going to take you on this ride. And you're at the beginning of it and there's going to be this fire inside of you that kind of gets stirred up. And it's all you'll be able to think about. You know, him doing this with you. That fire is a sure sign that God has called you. When I was saved in 1994, I made a decision then that I was never going to say no to God. And I never wanted to say no to Him. And so when He called, I wanted to say yes. So the next Sunday I was at church, I went to my pastor and I said, Hey, I told him about this decision. And he got this little smile on his face. He said, Well, guess what? I'm going to be gone at the end of the summer. Would you be uh, all right preaching for me that, that Sunday? Now, this was before BRCC days. This was before ministry days. You know, this is, this is just Greg, just a guy, you know, and God's doing something in my heart, and I'm excited about it, sharing it with the pastor, and I'm standing there in the church hallway. People are hustling and bustling back and forth, you know, after church, and I could feel the fear rise up inside of me. God, God has just put this wheel, empty wheelbarrow right there in front of me in the church hallway, and, you know, I did, I did not like to speak in front of people, and, and let alone the responsibility of handling God's Word in, in public. You know, that's a big deal, too. And so... Uh, I did not see myself doing this. But the pastor saw something in me that I didn't see. Remember, I'm just a guy. I'm I'm working at a business trying to grow it. I want to take nice vacations. I'm good with numbers and computers. I go to church most weeks with my family. I was not a pastor. I was definitely not a preacher. But there's the empty wheelbarrow. Faith United Methodist Church, Pastor uh, Harry Alamein. Called me into that wheelbarrow. God called me through that. So the message was short. It was about my personal testimony. But I, I look back on that as like my first yes to the wheelbarrow. You know, just stepping in there. Now the yeses continued to come after that. Let, had me leading a, a men's group. Had me teaching at vacation Bible school. Had me singing a a solo in the church choir. Yeah. Only got to sing one. Had us change churches to BRCC. Had me change careers to ministry. Had me going back to seminary. Had me going to foreign countries on mission trips. Had me going to McCordsville to do this great thing called Living Streams Community Church. Along the way, I sought confirmation from God. That these callings were coming from him. Because the callings kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And every single time I surrendered to the call, I got into the wheelbarrow, worship, fire. And I knew it was what he wanted me to do. And I'll tell you, it's been one adventurous ride over the Niagara Falls in the wheelbarrow. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you had this experience where you said yes to God, answering a call, you know, where God says, I want you to go over here and talk to this person about me. 
Or I want you to go over there and I want you to meet that need in that person's life. I want you to be my hands and my feet. And I want you to pray for that person. Or I want you to go and I want you to lead this group. Or I want you to go to the prayer meeting. Or whatever it might be. And you say, who? Me? You want me? And he says, yes, you. And you say yes back and the fire starts. You know about that? If you don't, you are missing out on a great ride in a wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls. I mean, that stuff can happen at vacation Bible school. Because he just calls us to the next thing. All you have to do to get a call is say to God, Here I am, send me. Make yourself available. I promise you, God will not waste a humble, willing heart who wants to do His will and bring Him glory. He will not waste it. Now, the last part of fighting like a believer with faith is actually walking by it. You're living it out. You know, you, you can't believe from the crowd. No matter how much you agree with what you're seeing, no matter how much you feel it on the inside, if you stay in the crowd, it's not faith. You can't believe with your words. Faith is only faith when it is walked out by, by the one who professes it. Gideon gets his first instructions here in, in verses 25 to 29. That night... The Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary. Laying the stones carefully, sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar using as the fuel the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other, who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. So what God has asked Gideon to do is a risky deal. I mean, it was a big thing. Tearing down Baal's altar, that was the common pagan worship of the day. You know, it was everywhere. It was rampant. And so he's going to make an enemy of the community. He knows that. So he gets ten of his servants from his father's house. And he goes and he does it at night because he's afraid. People wake up the next morning to a brand new altar with the remains of a bull on it that had been offered by Gideon that night. Now, what you should know is a bull was the idol for Baal. And so God is making a statement with what Gideon is doing there. And he burned up Baal on the altar. (laughs) So this act, it, it moved Gideon from the bottom of a wine press to the center of attention in this community. And then he's in trouble, and his dad defends him. And he goes on, and he says, they want to kill him. And and, uh, his dad says, look, Baal can defend himself. And so the people say, yeah. And so they give him a new name, Jerobel, which means Baal can defend himself. 
Because, see, the people expected Baal to strike down Gideon. And when Gideon wasn't struck down, Jeroboam, his name, wasn't a name of shame to be remembered him by. No, it was a name that became, became this label for him that proved what the angel said to him in the wine press, that he was a mighty man of God. So as the chapter keeps going, uh, the Spirit of God closed Gideon in verse 34. He blows the ram's horn. Men, men hear that as a call to arms and messages was sent out. So the army begins to gather. And, and, and it begins to, you know, kind of gather. And so here, here Gideon's beginning to see this. And, and uh, so this thing's getting real now. He's going to have to lead this army to take on the Midianites. And so in, in uh, chapter 6, as it comes to a close, Gideon does the fleece thing. You know, he, he wants more signs that, that God is, is you know, going to do what God has said he is going to do. But there's a difference between this kind of sign and the first sign that he asked for. So God is gracious and he does what Gideon asks. But this time Gideon is wrestling with unbelief. And that's different than the first time. The first time he's questioning, is this really God calling? He's wanting discernment about that. And that's a, that's a good thing. And God shows his grace in that to us. But this time he knows that God has promised this. And he's questioning, is God really who he says he is? Is God really going to show up? You know, make the fleece dry, everything else wet. Make the fleece wet, everything else dry. That's the struggle that we'll have when we walk by faith into God's calling and what he wants us to do. We know that God has called us, but will he continue to be the promise keeper that he is that we read about in here? Will he show up? Will he protect us? Will he provide for us? Will he fight for us? Will he keep us from falling out of the wheelbarrow on the trip across Niagara Falls? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So instead of asking God for fleeces to give us confidence to help us with our unbelief, we need to be asking him for faith to help us obey in the calling that he's given us. Confidence does not come from fleeces. Confidence does not come from what we can see. What we see, if we ask God, show me this so I can have confidence from my faith, it will never give us confidence for our faith. Where does that confidence come from? Our history with God. When we have gotten the wheelbarrow before, maybe it's you know something small he asked us to do, we did it, he took us across. And it was, it was amazing. We look back on that. We remember who our God is. We read about him in here. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We look back and say, he did it then, he's going to do it today. That's where our confidence comes from. Our own walk with him as we walk by faith and not by sight. Our sight never gives us confidence. So important. So Gideon's walking by faith continues into Judges 7. He gathers the army and God shrinks it to 300. They go take on this army that's described as locusts swarming the land and they get them on the run. So God brings the smallest of the small and the weakest of the weak, Gideon, he brings him a victory with just a few hundred warriors who were faithful and full of faith. You know what we call that? A glory story. That's a glory story. Because anybody watching that would know that God did it and not Gideon. You know, God got the glory, Gideon didn't. And that's what he wants to have happen in our own lives. As we follow him, he's going to call us to faith and we're going to get in the wheelbarrow. 
and God's going to take us across on the tightrope, and people are going to be watching and say, look what God is doing. And then he's going to see us, and they'll say, the people will see us, and they'll say, they believe in their God. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word today, this story of Gideon and the the challenge that it is uh, to us as we think about answering your call uh, to faith and then living out that faith, the things that we um, say we believe, seeing them come to life in our life. We thank you, Lord, for your grace in all of that, how you give us confirmation uh, through your word, through other believers, through circumstances and in prayer, all those things working together for you to start this fire inside of us that, yes, I want you to go and do this. And as we walk out there by faith and we step out, we get in that wheelbarrow, Lord, and we start to cross that, that chasm of, of Niagara Falls with you pushing. Help us, Lord, to fix our eyes on you, the God that you are, the one that we read about who does amazing, miraculous things. Help us to fix our eyes on you, how you've worked in the past for us, and get our confidence there to be obedient in the call. Lord, these are difficult days for everyone. Help us to be strong in you, confident in you, humble and full of life and love and faith. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.